Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses to you here this morning. This is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would grant utterance and that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit, that the Word would be yours and not mine. I pray that you would hide me behind the shadow of Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about moving with God two Sundays ago. We talked about the genius of Joseph and Mary was in the ability of their hearts to move quickly with God. First, their hearts had to move because when the angel appeared to each of them, he told them something off the wall, something unexpected, something that was outside of their expectation for their own future and for their own destiny. And their hearts had to first move with God and say, Yes. One of the most difficult things for the Holy Spirit to do is to get the hearts of his people to say yes to things that are outside of their own ambition, expectation, or desires for their life. What we all actually desire in our fallen human nature is for God simply to rubber stamp our own plans for our lives Mm. and simply to say yes to what we have planned and to what we have desired. But often God comes and he speaks something that's antithetical to your expectation for your own future, something that's outside of your grid, something outside of your box, something that you did not anticipate. And, And it's easy for us to say that didn't bear witness with my spirit. It's like telling God, God, I'm sorry, but what you're saying does not bear witness with me. Uh, I don't believe that's God (laughs) when it's God himself. And so the genius of Joseph and Mary was first in the willingness of their hearts to say yes to God when God tried to move them in a direction that was antithetical to their own plans for their own life. And then last Sunday, we talked about the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It was a 90-mile journey. Once their heart said yes, now they actually had to follow 
Their bodies actually had to follow the the decision of their hearts. See, it's one thing for your heart to say yes. It's another thing for your body to follow through on what your heart says yes to. It's, It's easy to say yes to anything. It's not easy to actually follow through on what you've said yes to. And we talked about how when God is moving you somewhere, the journey is often inconvenient. It was 90 miles. Mary was in her third trimester. At the end of the third trimester, just a couple of weeks away from delivering the child. And in the last leg of the last trimester of her pregnancy, she had to make a 90-mile journey through the snow and the rain, up and through the woods and the forest, and, and in order to get to Bethlehem where Jesus was to be born, so that the prophecy of the prophet Micah could be fulfilled. Yeah. And that trial was actually designed by the Lord. God actually timed it yeah. so that the journey would have to be made at that time. Yeah. Why? It was necessary in order to fulfill the prophecy. The thing that we must keep in our minds and hearts is that our trials, our tribulations, and our struggles are often God's way of bringing us into a place of fulfillment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Today, we're going to talk about the wise men. The wise men from the East. The Holy Spirit had to move them as well. But it's interesting, we have no idea how the Holy Spirit moved them. If you think about it, this is a crazy thing. Even for us today, to think that these wise men came from the other side of the world with one intention and one purpose to find this child who was going to be born and give him an offering. That was their intention. That was their purpose. To find this child that was to be born. How did they even know? (laughs) And they see this star. They're in the east. They see the star. They saw the star from the east. But the star was leading them to the west, where Israel was. And they followed the star all the way to Jerusalem. Now, this is crazy. And there's been a lot of scholarly debate about who these wise men were and how they knew. These were foreign dignitaries, obviously. The concept of wise men, these were probably counselors to a great king in the ancient Near Eastern world. These were, and the counselors of great kings were a combination of astrologers, interpreters of dreams, and magicians. These were not men of of Israel. These were not sons and daughters of Abraham. They didn't have the covenant. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the prophets. They didn't have anything to guide them, but somehow they saw this star and they got a revelation. Isn't it interesting that God... God is able to speak to you regardless of what your background is or where you come from or what you've experienced in life. However, it could be. You remember this dude, Balaam? Everybody knows Balaam. He's the guy whose ass talked to him. His donkey. When a donkey talks... That's another sermon. (laughs) Balaam was the son of Baor. He lived over in the east in this area that was actually near Babylon. And Balak was king of Moab. And he saw this group of people called the sons of Israel. 
and they were just licking up all of the land. He was scared of them, so he called for this prophet named Balaam to put a curse on them. And remember that Balaam, even though he was a false prophet, when he tried to curse the people of Israel, the only thing he could do was bless them. And he said, there's no divination against Israel. There's no witchcraft against Jacob. He says, I couldn't curse him if I tried. How can I curse the one whom the Lord has blessed? Can I say to you that if you're sons and daughters of God, you don't have to fear any curse? Because how can someone curse you when God has blessed you? To believe that a curse can be stronger than God's blessing is actually idolatry. To curse me and your curse work, you got to be stronger than the God who blessed me. And Balaam actually tried to curse them. He wanted to get paid. Balak said, I'm going to give you cash money. He was like, I'm down, dog, I'm down. And he opened his mouth and all he could do was bless Israel. But in the middle of that blessing, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, he utters this prophecy. He says, a star shall arise from the tents of Jacob. And he said, and... And he will be the right ruler of his people. A star shall arise from the tents of Jacob. This was the prophecy of Balaam, who was a prophet over there in the east. And it could be that these wise men see a star and they're like, what is this star? And the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart and brings back the prophecy of Balaam. Yeah, 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 yeah. And says, this is the star that's arising from the tents of Jacob. And they say, we're going to follow this star and we're going to find this ruler who was to be born. And here's the revelation they got. If this star represents the birth of a ruler, if he's the rightful ruler and the rightful king, then the best thing we could possibly do with our lives is find him and offer him our everything. We hear the story of the wise men and we don't actually get it. The whole Christmas story has become a cliche to us. We don't actually stop to think of how crazy it would be to journey to the other side of the world to give an offering. I mean, see, a lot of people seek Jesus when they need something from him. A lot of even the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd because she needed something yeah. from him. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's a Christian when the plane starts going down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you hit rock bottom, all of a sudden, I think I'm ready to open my heart to Jesus. You get diagnosed with cancer, I'm going to seek his face. Your child is off the hook, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. You get a pink slip at your job, I'm going to go seek out the Lord and see what his will is. But apart from trouble, apart from need, apart from personal desire, apart from ambition, to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find him so I can give him an offering? Most of us wouldn't cross the street to give him an offering. They cross the world to give him an offering. Now watch how this plays out. 
They come to Israel and they the first place they go is the capital. Jerusalem. Yeah. Why? This is the city of the great king. If there's a great king being born, he's got to be born in the city of the great king. And if he's being born king of the Jews, then all the Jews have to know about it. There's no way we on the other side of the world are getting a revelation that the people right up in the midst of it are not getting. There's no way that we see. You know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes people outside of the body of Christ get revelations that we inside of the body of Christ don't get. And, and sometimes, you know, somebody told me, said, my friend told me, uh, you know why I don't believe in your Jesus? And he said, why? He said, because I don't believe you believe in your Jesus. Wow. He said, what are you talking about? He said, because if I actually believed what you claim to believe, I would surrender my whole life to that Jesus. And you're still fooling around. So it's clear to me that you don't actually believe that this Jesus is who you say that you believe he is. Isn't that crazy? These wise men, they're like, everybody in Israel must be rejoicing right now. Everybody in Israel must be gathering up all their treasures, ready to lay it at his feet. Everybody in Israel must understand how powerful, how how excited they must be. And they go to Jerusalem and they're like, we need to see King Herod. Now, these are foreign dignitaries. Wise men. Magi is another word for them. These are men of renown. If you went back to their country where they were from and dropped their names, they'd be like, oh, shoot. You know them? Dang. (laughs) These are important people. So they could go into any country and get an audience with any king and they come to Jerusalem and they go into Herod's court and Herod's attendants come and say, there's some men from the east who are here to see you. Men of great renown, dignitaries, foreign dignitaries. And Herod's thinking, this is awesome. They've come to pay homage to the great king. Me. They've come to bow down. They come to game recognize game. Yeah, that's right. I'm from the 90s. I'm sorry. (laughs) They've come to bring me an offering. They've come to recognize my glory, my gifts, my skills. They've come to authenticate my right to rule. He says, bring them into my court. I'll see them immediately. He sits on his ornate throne, surrounded by his elders and his attendants. Everything is immaculate. He's thinking this is like the queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon. They come to see me. They're going to marvel at my wisdom. And they come in and Herod says, what can I do for you? They said, we've got a question. We've come to see the king. He says, you found him. They said, no, 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 not you. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Harris, I hope. Did you not hear? I am the king of the Jews. He said, no, 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 not you. We're not interested in you. We're not looking for you. We didn't journey halfway across the world to see you. No offense, but we would have just sent you a postcard. (laughs) We haven't come here looking for you. We've come here looking for he who has been born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east 
And we've come to worship Him. And here it goes, huh, that's funny. I didn't hear about no king that was been born. They're like, you, but you're right up in here. <laughs> but it, he was born in your back. I mean, you don't know that God is doing, you have no idea what God is doing right in front of your face. Wow. You can't see that God has already moved on your behalf. You don't know that this is for you. You don't know that this is to your benefit, that God has done something to your benefit right in your backyard. You can't see it. We can see it from the other side of the world. And Herod's like, give me a minute. Can you just go sit in the other room real quick? Bring him some food, or some, some drinks, give him some hot chocolate, something. And he calls together all of his theologians and he goes, so um, this Messiah, this king who's to be born, where is he, where is he supposed to be born at? Go search. And they're like, no problem. They, they, they're searching through the Torah. They're looking through the prophets. And they find the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are not the least among the tribes of Judah. For out of you shall come forth one to me who shall be ruler of my people Israel. And it goes on to say, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And they come back to the king and they say, He's being born in Bethlehem. And these scholars and scribes are probably excited. They're like, wait a minute. Are you telling me the Messiah is being born now? And Herod goes, thank you for that information. We'll adjourn this meeting. He goes back to the wise men and he goes, tell me exactly what time you saw the star. Why does he want to know what time you saw the star? He wants to know how old the child is. So that he knows how many babies he has to kill up to what age. Wow. He assumes when they saw the star, it represented the moment the child was born. But they had to journey all the way here following the star. Huh. And they say, it was about 18 months ago. He says, okay, thanks for that. It's good to know. I'll tell you what. Go to Bethlehem. Search diligently for the child. And when you find him, Come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. And they were like, this is awesome. This is great. So they're like, thank you, king. And they get on their camels and they go down to Bethlehem. But when they come out of the king's presence, there's the star again. And when they saw the star, yeah. they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Yeah. Okay. Step back. When Herod heard the news, he was troubled. Yeah. Remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah. Herod hears about Jesus, and he's troubled. Why is Herod troubled? Why is Herod threatened by a baby? How can a baby usurp authority from an adult king? I mean, couldn't Herod think, oh, maybe it's his destiny to be the next king. Maybe my successor has been born, you know? I mean, couldn't Herod just like... Just say, you know what, I mean, I can't rule forever. Somebody's got to come after me. There's got to be another pastor to take my place when I'm gone. And if he's born in my lifetime, what a joy. Like Simeon and, 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 and what was the other one? Simeon and what's the woman's name? Anna in the temple. When they see the baby, Simeon's like, I can die now. Now my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. That's the revelation, right? This is awesome. God has done it. Ugh. But Herod... He's troubled. 
Why is he troubled? Because Herod recognized that this was not just a baby being born. This was competition. Jesus was his competition. Herod could never surrender his life to Jesus because Jesus was his competition. You see, already this baby was costing Herod glory because now foreign dignitaries are coming from the east not to pay homage to him, but to pay homage to a baby. Not to recognize his authority, but to recognize the authority of this baby. Not to recognize his right to rule, but to recognize the authority, the right of this baby to rule. Herod realized in his heart that if this is true and a king has been born, this is only the beginning. Pretty soon wise men are going to be coming from the north, south, east, and west to pay homage to a baby and not to me. Herod recognized that if Jesus is king, he's going to take glory away from me. Jesus is going to cost me glory. Can I say to you that if you receive Jesus, he's going to cost you glory. Glory that should come to you is going to go to him. Right? Credit that you want to come to you is actually going to go to him. So that when you do something good and people say, hey, that was a good job, Amy, you're going to have to say, I have to give glory to Jesus because it wasn't my ability, it was his ability. He's going to cost you some glory. And when good things come into your life, you can't take credit for it anymore. You have to give credit where credit is due. Say, this was a blessing from God. And somebody says, well, you worked hard for it. Yes, but from whence came the ability to work hard for it? It came from God. Everything I have came from God. All of the glory belongs to Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. And see, this is the thing. There's the spirit of Herod is alive and well in the world today. You see, a lot of people can't accept Jesus because Jesus is your competition. You see, if you want to rule over your own life, Jesus is your competition. If you want to determine your own destiny, Jesus is your competition. If you want to make a decision of what you're going to obey and what you're not going to obey, Jesus is your competition. If you think, well, I'm mature and I'm an adult and I can make decisions for me, Jesus is your competition. And you can't fully, you can't worship him and compete with him at the same time. Because at the end of the day, you and Jesus want the same thing. Complete control over your life. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> Ain't about the turtleneck. It's about Jesus. It's just hot up in here. (laughs) Here's the problem. What scared Herod was that the wise men said that he was born the king. And then Herod discovered he was born the king in Bethlehem, which is the city of David. Which means that he was of the line and lineage of David. Which means that he had a rightful claim to the throne which Herod did not. Herod was an Edomian. He was the son of an Edomian adventurer, which means that he was an Edomite. He was from Edom. He was not even of the stock of Israel, of the house of Israel. He was not even of one of the tribes of Israel. He had no right to rule. He was a usurper. Do you realize that you have no right to rule over your own life? And if you take the right to rule over your own life, you are a usurper. You were born a worshiper. You were created to worship. It's in your DNA. It's in your blood. And matter of fact, whether you know it or not, your heart longs to worship. 
whether you know it or not, the deepest desire of your soul is to worship. And this is the wisdom of the wise men. The revelation that the wise men got is that number one, a king is being born. And number two, the greatest thing that we could possibly do with our lives is journeying as far and wide as we need to journey to find him so that we can surrender our all to him. This is the fulfillment of our destiny, surrendering our all to him. See, when you think about your destiny, you think about what great things you'll accomplish and you think about what platforms you'll stand on and you think about what wealth you'll acquire and you'll think about what accolades and what achievements that you're going to, that's going to come to you. But the wise men thought nothing of that. What they thought of was finding Jesus and surrendering to him, finding Jesus and worshiping him. And that's why when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, not because they thought they were going to get anything, but because they finally had the opportunity to meet a king who was worthy of their everything. The greatest benefit of meeting Jesus is not finding the one who will heal your heart, not finding the one who will restore your soul, not finding the one who will bless your fields, not finding the one who will, who will, who will, Put you back together again. And he does all of that. Don't get me wrong. He's close to the brokenhearted and saved such as trusting him. But that is not the primary benefit of finding Jesus. The primary benefit of finding Jesus is that the deepest longing of your soul has always been from the moment of your birth to offer God everything you have. To fully and completely surrender your everything to God. That is the deepest longing of your soul. The problem is that your mind has a different idea. And when there is a divergence between the agenda of your soul and the agenda of your mind you enter into a realm that's called foolishness. So you talk, I've I've talked to so many people who actually know that, see, it's one thing for you not to receive Jesus because you're not yet sure he's real. Yeah. I mean, there's there's probably some of you in the room right now who are like, man, if if I knew he was real, yeah, of course, I would would receive him. That's one thing. Like your heart is still struggling to get the revelation that he's real. But there's others who already have that revelation. I know he's real, but I'm still not ready to surrender. Why? Because your mind does not yet know what your soul longs for. In your mind, you still think what you desire is to get. And so Jesus is your competition because... Once you surrender to him in your mind, I'm going to lose my gold and my frankincense and my myrrh. And I think that my greatest longing in life is to get more gold and to get more frankincense and to get more myrrh. I'm still having my fun. I'm still sowing my royal oats. I'm still doing my thing. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And once I got enough gold and enough frankincense and enough myrrh, then maybe one day I'll surrender my life to Jesus. And you have totally missed the boat. Because when you offer him your gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it doesn't make him any bigger or any greater than he already is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's actually for you. Yeah. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy because they said, we are so close to offering our everything. We are so close to making this offering. We are so close. We can't wait to worship him. We can't wait to offer our every, we can't wait to find him so we can worship him. This was the longing of their heart. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live to worship you. And it's one thing to sing that and it's another thing to cross the world to manifest that. We can sing that while simultaneously hoarding our gold and frankincense and myrrh. When they saw the star, do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the alignment of the agenda of the mind with the agenda of the soul. The agenda of your soul is find God and give him everything. That's what your soul longs to do. That's what your soul longs for. But the agenda of your mind is often find more pleasure, more fun, more satisfaction and fulfillment by going my own way, doing my own thing. And you don't realize that when you go that route, you're actually going, you're actually moving to the detriment of your own soul. The wise men were willing to move with God because Jesus was not their competition. Yeah. Yeah. And there is no movement with God that will not require your fundamental surrender. Remember the rich young ruler? What must I do? Good teacher, first he says, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Translation, I just want to make sure that I go to heaven when I die. Wow. Right. I'm looking for a heavenly insurance policy. <laughs> Dallas Willard talked about spiritual vampires who just want a little bit of Jesus' blood for their sins. Because all I want to know is what must I do to be saved? How can I make sure that I go to heaven when I die? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. He goes, I've kept all of them. And he's expecting Jesus to say, awesome, you're in. You've lived a moral life. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Surrender everything. Sell everything. Give the money away and come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. What Jesus was actually offering him, though it sounded devastating, it sounded like complete loss. Jesus was actually offering him complete gain. Because he is no fool who surrenders what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who surrenders what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Who was it that said that? I'll think of it later. It wasn't me. That's a quote. A wise man said that. These men are called wise men. 
Why are they called wise men? Because they have successfully brought the agenda of their mind into alignment with the agenda of their soul. Their minds have concluded the same thing that their souls have always knew, that my greatest joy in life is to find Jesus and offer him my everything. The greatest opportunity that I have is to worship Jesus and to give him my everything. And the problem is when we don't understand when we don't understand the kingdom of God, we don't understand divine power structures. We think of everything in terms of earthly power structures. Because earthly power structures are structures that take everything and give nothing in return. The kind of king that Herod was represented an earthly power structure. My kingdom is my right to rule over you. My right to take from you. My right to tell you what to do. But if you look at the prophecy of Micah, God says, out of you will come for me a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. The kind of ruler that Jesus is, is not a despotic monarch who sits on the throne throwing out orders at people, do this and do that, give me this and give me that. Instead, he's a shepherd who stands in the middle of his flock and shepherds and feeds his flock in the strength of the Lord. You see, these wise men got a revelation that when I surrender to Jesus, I'm simply surrendering to the one who shepherds my soul. The wisdom, Jim Elliott, thank you. The wisdom of the wise men was in the revelation that I can never, ever outgive God. Wow, yes, that's it. That's good. Wow. I love that image in the book of Revelation of the 24 elders seated around the throne of God. And yeah. the image is Every so often, which means it happens over and over again, the spirit of worship comes over them, and they jump, they fall off their thrones on their faces and cast down their golden crowns at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of the Lamb, and He who sits on the throne, and then they worship. They sing this song. How could they do that more than once? I mean, once you cast down your golden crown, isn't it gone? And then in the next chapter, they're casting down their golden crowns again. How many golden crowns you got? (laughs) What's in between each of those scenes is the shepherd picking them up, sitting them back on their throne, putting that golden crown on them again. Picking them up, sitting them on their throne and putting that gold. How'd they get there in the first place? You're afraid of losing your golden crowns? Where'd you get your golden crown in the first place? I know you don't subscribe to that American doctrine of exceptionalism. Well, I worked harder than other people worked. (laughs) Baloney. I'm not saying you didn't work hard. But from whence came the ability to work hard? Even that is a golden crown. In Exodus 35, there's this beautiful scene. Verse 4, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing, I love that word willing. 
This is not compulsory. If this is compulsory in your heart and mind, you've missed the point. Please do not participate. If you think you've lost, I mean, we ordered from we ordered from Uber Eats yesterday. I know, right? You already know where this is going. And on top of that, we ordered from Popeyes. We ordered two spicy crispy chicken sandwich meals and one classic. And fries with each of those meals. No, it's not keto friendly. Just Y'all just pray my strength in the Lord, okay? I need a new deliverance. I need to be re-delivered. After the holidays, the Lord, I'm just going to, I'm going to seek him. I'm going to travel. And guess what came? Mashed potatoes. Three orders of mashed potatoes. The devil is a liar. And three classic chicken sandwiches, all of them dry. I said, my goodness, what manner of incompetence is this? And then they charge you an arm. You know how much those three meals cost? $50. Oh, my wife, I didn't even tell my wife that. Because see, here's how Uber Eats does it. First, they charge you more for the actual meal. And then on top of charging you more for the actual meal, they charge you a delivery fee and a service fee, and then a tip for the driver. I think it's working out well for them. So, you know, if we would have eaten there, it would have cost like $30 or less. It's $50, and then we get just, and I thought, this is $50 I will never see again. That sense of loss, like they robbed me, and they took, that's how some people feel in giving an offering to the Lord. I gave Popeyes $50. I got nothing back. Just nonsense. This is how a lot of people feel. This is how a lot of people, I've been tithing for, you know how long I've been tithing? And I still lost my job. I'll never see that tithe money again. What am I getting? I've been tithing. My, my husband still don't like me. Faithfully giving my tithe to the Lord. My kid got a C minus in math. <laughs> Thanks a lot, God. I'll never see that money again. That's what a lot of people feel about giving their tithes and offerings to the Lord. Wow. It's like Popeye's just took my money. <laughs> For no reason. But there's a silver lining. Because I got on that Uber, Uber Eats app. Ha <laughs> ha. And I hit help <laughs> and selected problem with my order. And they said, take a picture of it and tell us what's wrong. And I took a picture of it. and I said, you ruined my family's dinner tonight. <laughs> and within 15 minutes, mm, they refunded my $50. <laughs> And a lot of people feel like Uber Eats will refund my money, but God won't. Wow, wow, wow. A lot of people feel better about giving an offer. You know, we give a monthly offering on my wife's behalf to 24-hour fitness. 
It's just a love offering. They're doing such wonderful work for the Lord. We just want to support their ministry. I'm not going to ask for no, no show of hands, but how many of y'all got subscriptions that you don't even use? And you don't even feel bad about it. Just it is what it is. It is what it is. But when it comes to the house of the Lord, how are they going to use my money? I won't know what they're going to do with that. I don't even know where my money goes. <laughs> money I'll never see again. Got more honor for 24-hour fitness than for Jesus. Because you just don't have a revelation of who he is. Okay. I'm going to close this up. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. And then verse 10, in addition... All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames. God said, Moses, this is what God says. First, you're going to give some money. Second, you're going to serve. You're going to serve a ministry. You're going to build something. But only if you're willing. This is what the Lord has commanded, if you're willing. Isn't that interesting? Because the Lord only loves a cheerful giver. Let, let me finish this up. I'm skipping down to verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from the presence of Moses, meaning they left. They just left. He got to the end of his sermon and they left. Verse 21. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them. Wow. Meaning their heart moved them because they said, this is where God is moving and we're moving with God. came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds. They presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Here's the wisdom of the wise men. They said, God is moving, and we're moving with God. But what is God moving us to do? To get an offering. They didn't come because they were compelled to. They came because they saw it as the greatest privilege. The greatest privilege that they were ever given was the privilege of searching out Jesus and bringing him an offering. You know what? We've got that privilege this morning. Just so happens that today's our end of the year offering. And I didn't think of that at all as I was preparing this message. <laughs> See, I feel manipulated. Please don't participate in this offering if you feel manipulated. It's not what it's about at all. Because you know what? I'm giving in this offering. And I'll probably give more than most of you. But I'm not compelled to. I'm not manipulated to. 
but I'm moved in my spirit to move with God. I must say that this offering is not for me. That's right. That's right. So I'm giving to the pastor. No, you're not. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. We, including me, are giving to Jesus. Yes. That's right. Amen. Why? Because I have discerned the presence of Jesus here in this house. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, the wise men saw the star, followed it all the way to Bethlehem, it says, and when they had come into the house. You see, the thing about the presence of Jesus is that it is always born in a house. Yeah. You see, the presence of Jesus, They, in order to discern the presence of Jesus, they had to come into the house. And we have come into the house of God, and the presence of Jesus is in this house. And when they came into the house, and they saw the child with his mother, they fell down on their faces, and they worshipped him. Proskuneo, which is a physical act of worship. Every time we lift our hands when we're singing, that's proskuneo. Every time we fall on our knees, that's proskuneo. Every time we, whatever you do physically in the midst of worship is your proskuneo. But they followed up their proskuneo. It was not just a physical act. It said, and when they had opened up their treasures. You see, they went from a physical act to substance. And when they had opened up their treasures, they brought their gifts to him, their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. Yeah. And here's what's crazy. They didn't ask for nothing. Yeah. They, didn't have, they didn't have their list of prayer requests underneath the gold. <laughs> they didn't ask for a prophecy for 2020. <laughs> they didn't call it a seed. I'm sowing a seed because I'm hoping to reap this harvest. They weren't trying to test him in this. They didn't know anything about the tithe. All they knew was if this is the king of kings and lord of lords, he deserves my everything. And when they left, they left rejoicing. Why? Because we did it. What did you do? What we were born for. What were you born for? Our destiny. What's your destiny? We offered everything to Jesus. Can I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that the greatest joy you can ever experience is the joy of recognizing that God has done such a work in your soul that everything of your life has been surrendered to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm not quite there yet, but I'm making progress. And every time he comes in and takes one more thing in my life and it's surrendered to him, my soul rejoices because because my destiny is to belong to Jesus in every part of my mind, in every part of my heart, and in all of my treasure. Here's what we're going to do. I need Ben to come to the keyboard, worship team, whatever. We're going to bow our heads and bow our hearts. We're going to receive our end-of-the-year offering now. But our end-of-the-year offering is this. It's simply what we are bringing to the feet of Jesus. Listen, I'm not here to tell you to give this or to give that. I'm not here to challenge you to give anything. I'm simply encouraging you to listen to the voice of God. And if He moves you, however He moves you, just move with Him. That's all. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray that a spirit of surrender would come over our hearts and our minds, over every soul, that we would move with you. Lord, there's some of us here today 
we would say that Jesus is our competition. That's the revelation that some of us have received. Jesus is actually my competition. I'm still trying to rule over certain areas of my life. Jesus is my competition. I'm still trying to have it my way right away. Burger King Christians. Jesus is my competition. But today, we say to you, Lord, you're not my competition. You're my aspiration. You're not my competition. You're my aspiration. I long to worship you. And Lord, in every area of my life, in every area of my heart, and in every area of my mind in which I discern that there's a part of me that's not submitting to you, I long to submit to you in that place. My dream and my desire is to be yours, fully yours, 100% yours, to the depths of my soul. All of my life, all of my heart, and all of my wealth, all of my treasures, yours and fully yours. Holy Spirit, I pray you move on every heart and every soul. Bring clarity, bring peace, the peace that comes from surrender. In Jesus' name.